whoever is listening, guys. Welcome back. My name is Grayson Mann, and this is your Monday morning podcast, guys. I'm so excited. Before we begin, I just want to thank you guys for hopefully we're going to reach 18,500 listeners pretty soon. My goal this summer is 20,000, and I've got an exciting interview on Wednesday to hopefully boost that along with a couple others that I'm behind the scenes. I'm working them out. Very exciting stuff. Also, sorry about my voice if it sounds a little sniffly. I don't know. I've been battling a cold for a couple days. I guess I don't know if it's post something post finals or something like that. But I'm excited to be able to kick the summer off, be able to work with you guys, and just it's an exciting time. Uh, doing stuff for Tiger Illustrated, doing stuff for Rivals, and being able to pour my energy into this podcast. It's exciting stuff, and I really think that we're gonna make this summer ours. So today we're gonna do some NBA playoff breakdown. I'm just gonna go series by series in the second round. I have some basic notes pulled up of kind of what. I want to summarize. Now, I've watched some series more than others, and if you've watched this channel, watched me, know me, you know which one I've probably spent my most time on, but I think the NBA playoffs as a whole is super exciting. I've been a big fan of who's advanced and stuff like that. There's a lot of promise to this playoffs, and it's been super fun so far, and I've had time to digest some certain things, so I have some takes that I want to spew on, some predictions, so we're going to go Series by series, I'm going to start with the Suns and the Nuggets, and then we're going to finish, we're going to go to Heat Knicks, we're going to go then to Lakers Warriors, and then we're going to finish it off with Philadelphia and Boston to wrap up the show. So, I think I'm potentially considering doing timestamps if you want to be able to skip to either series and be able to jump back and forth. Maybe you really want to hear my thoughts on what Golden State and Los Angeles facing off in Game 4 tomorrow. You'd be able to skip to that. You know what? I am going to do that. I'm going to put those timestamps in there for you guys watching a Netflix series, actually, as I'm editing this. So I have the time. It's summer. This is what I want to do. So we're going to do that. I'm pointing on the screen if you're watching on YouTube. I'm pointing at you. This is for you. So without further ado, let's get into the NBA playoffs. I'm going to start with actually a really fun series that I really got to invest myself in when it was actually looking like the series might be on the brink of being over. So Suns Nuggets, this matchup is fascinating to me because you have a Suns team that it felt like for a majority of the year before the trade deadline, before the blockbuster Kevin Durant deal, that this team was floating around. They were trying to figure out who they were because since the NBA Finals in 2021, for me, I thought the Suns had a chance to make it back and they got Game 7 by Luka Doncic completely wiped off the face of the earth. That was an unbelievable Game 7 in terms of just the pure shock of it all. And so the Suns team's been trying to find itself and they went in and they have a brand new owner too. So these big owners, they like to make splashes. They want to sell tickets. They get Kevin Durant and KD. They don't lose much with him in the lineup and they took care of the Clippers in five. Right now they're at a two, two they're even they're stalemated. They've seesawed back and forth, but I think this series has been what's the sun's depth and how far could that take them? Because obviously beating a Clippers team without PG and Kawhi and, you have Russell Westbrook, who's actually had a decent series. That Clippers team was never going to beat the Suns with Kevin Durant, Booker, and Chris Paul. So you go into a series with Denver, with Jokic, Michael Porter Jr., Jamal Murray, Aaron Gordon. There's a lot of star power on this Denver Nuggets team, and they were my favorites out of the West. I think I talked about it with uh, Jack Simone with our Celtics breakdown that, yeah, Denver is a team that's really starting to figure it out. And while we may not trust them at times in the postseason, they are the most complete team in the West, and they looked the most consistent in the first round. So you think that continues into round two. 
And for the most part, it did. And it looked like, yes, while Durant and Booker are incredible, the Suns' depth really is something that's left to be desired. So you could really see if, hey, Phoenix loses in six or five, they're going to go into free agency, try to grab a couple wings, try to get some depth in case a CP3 kind of guy goes down or Booker has to miss a game or two. So you have these guys that can kind of fill in, and that's what you sacrifice when you trade away McCall Bridges, for example, for a guy like Kevin Durant. You ship all these valuable players off for this big star, and you make that swing, but at the same time, you're you're trading something great. You're getting something great and trading something good out, and I think sometimes in the playoffs, you need those bench players, and we're going to talk about that in the Boston Celtics series with Grant Williams, is how these bench players, these depth players, can provide such value to a certain team. So when you have the Suns Nuggets series, my my thought was, okay, if the Suns have any chance of winning the series, they're going to need heroic performances from Booker and Durant, and they're going to need DeAndre Ayton to be able to control the paint and try to keep Jokic in check. And in game three, we got just that. Devin Booker put up 47 points, I believe, on 20 of 25 shooting. Unbelievable. And I think Devin Booker, he was one of my favorite players to watch in the 2021 playoffs. He really took over and took that next step within his game. And he's also more of a willing defender than I think people give him credit for. And so when you go into this series with Kevin Durant and Devin Booker, you're going to need them both to be magical, to be able to hold off a Denver Nuggets team that really is complete. Their, their parts, their, it's like the sum of the parts is greater than the whole, something like that. I, I don't know the exact phrase, and I'm not going to try to spew it out, but you guys kind of get the gist of what I'm saying. This Denver Nuggets team, when you look at them as a whole team, it's better than Phoenix just because of the overall depth that they had. So if you have a night where Durant maybe struggles or Booker struggles, especially given the CP3 injury, you say, okay, Denver can take care of this in five games. But now we have Devin Booker, who has been on an absolute heater. And literally, I think if you put your hand towards him, you'd start to put it away. It's like you put your hands in a campfire for a little bit and your hands start to get warm. And you're like, oh, might want to back up a little bit. That's Booker right now. He and Durant are on fire. They put up heroic performances back home in Phoenix. They defended their home court, and they get to go back to Denver in Game 5. The quick question is, how sustainable can this be? Durant with this new team, how does this chemistry continue to progress? Is this team going to grow tired legs at some point, expending all their energy into these two games? And while in the playoffs, everybody's going to get tired, Denver has a little more to work with, and they don't have to play Jokic 48 minutes. They don't have to play Jamal Murray 48 minutes, although they're probably extremely capable to win a title. They don't have to go the length and the distance. So I think that ends up being the decision. I think Durant and Booker may just not have enough left in the tank. And I'm going to take Denver in seven. I think we're going to get one more spectacular performance from both Durant and Booker, not saying that they're just going to completely fall off the planet, like a James Harden game three thing, for example. But I don't know if them each dropping 30 each night, which they're both capable of doing, I don't know if that's necessarily sustainable when you have to go back and play in Denver twice where they struggled massively to control the baskets, control their ball security turnovers. Denver really dominated when they were on their home court, and I think that might continue, so I'm going to take Denver in seven. But I'm also leaving the door open that, yeah, I probably will be wrong here because if these two continue this trend, it's not going to matter. It's really exciting, and I can't wait for game five. Okay, so this one's interesting. Heat and the Knicks. So Miami currently leads this series 2-1. to one. In Miami, they've been the surprise of the NBA. So they lose to Atlanta in the play-in game. And we probably should have known. I, I mentioned this in my podcast with, with Jack. Is we might have should have known Atlanta just beat a Miami team that then the next week took Milwaukee in five. Should we have known something was going on? But regardless of the point, Miami is a team that 
it comes playoff time and it's like a switch and a it's something flips. I don't know if it's Jimmy Butler's just psychology of the playoffs are coming and I'm going to turn into the most reminiscent thing of in terms of play. I'm not comparing the two, obviously, but and I know there's this big joke that he's Michael Jordan's son, but God, does he play like him in terms of the attacking the mid range? He's not really a big guy to shoot outside beyond the arc. It just reminds me of it in terms of just the play style, not necessarily the the greatness of the six championships. So because I think I say that and someone's going to crucify me out there. It's just not not a good deal. But this Knicks team also was surprised to me as well. I thought Cleveland offensively had the Knicks number going into the series. They just had a little bit more oomph to them. And I think that I just took Thibodeau's squad for granted. And the Knicks take Cleveland in five, which was really neat to see. Jalen Brunson has ascended as a star with the Knicks. You had Aaron Rodgers going to these games. I mean, this is the series that I wanted to watch solely because I wanted to see Jimmy Butler play in Madison Square Garden. And Siri's trying to talk to me now. But I think for Jimmy Butler, <laughs> dropping what he did in the Madison Square Garden, out with the ankle injury in Game 2, this series has been about him. And how far this team is willing to go with, dang, Every time I say the, every time I try to do the playoff thing, it uh, it bugs out. But, anyways, in these, I'm gonna start calling the uh, these playoff rounds. Come up to call them something different because my computer's picking up on it every time. But in this in this little three game stretch that we've had, you have guys like Jimmy Butler taking over. You have guys like Jalen Brunson taking over. But I think the Knicks shooting has been their kryptonite. Game three, I think they shoot under. I think it was around 36% for the seer for the um for the overall game. And Miami has an opportunity tomorrow to go up 31 and get some rest against a team over on the other side of the bracket where you have Boston and Philadelphia ready who are beating each other up in a fantastic series. So you have these factors, I guess if you want to call it that. I'm gonna take Miami in five. I think Jimmy Butler is just too much and I think Miami goes as far as he's willing to take them and in game seven of the Eastern Conference Finals last year he just ran out of legs he is unbelievable this Miami Heat team coached by Spolstra is also unbelievable the way Spolstra is able to coach this team I think the added dynamic play of Kevin Love has been huge because he didn't play much in the regular season but when you get into the playoffs this is what they trade him for to be a valuable piece that can defend on one side of the ball and be able to catch and shoot along with guys like Struess and Gabe Vincent this Miami team is so much better than their seed indicates. And I don't know if that's them coasting in the regular season and then bam, playoff time comes. It's it's activated or something like that. But it's been fascinating to watch. So I'm going to take Miami in five. I know my roommate Matt will be upset about that, but I think the Knicks have just met their match physically, offensively, defensively. Spolstra's, has, Spolstra's got things going. I think we're going to see Miami in the Eastern Conference Finals again. As for the other series in the West, the Warriors and the Lakers, this one was so exciting to me because growing up, every single finals, LeBron and Stephen Curry, whether it was LeBron on the Cavs, Stephen Curry on the Warriors with Kevin Durant, whether it was the 3-1 famous LeBron block in Game 7, LeBron and Curry always bring something to the table, and it's so fascinating. And I think as sports fans, we all wanted to see this maybe one more time. We got a glimpse of it in the play-in when LeBron had the near logo shot where his eye was poked or something and it looked like he was crying and it was a big joke, but LeBron ended up getting the last laugh. And so 
you have the defending champs in Golden State going against this team in LA that is insanely lengthy. I think that's probably the right word I want to use. And that was my big focus going in the series. Can Golden State, maybe if it's not working behind the arc with Curry, Thompson, Poole, Wiggins, can they attack inside against guys like Anthony Davis, Rui Hachimura, uh, Jared Vanderbilt, even LeBron. There's just a lot of length and size on this Lakers team. So I thought this probably isn't a great matchup for Golden State. And I think in the in the two games that Los Angeles has won, they've been able to get to the line and control the paint and limit to an extent Golden State's three-point shooting. Los Angeles is one of the better three-point shooting defending teams in the NBA this year, and that certainly helped them out in this matchup where you know what Stephen Curry and Klay Thompson are all about. This is what we've seen for years, a decade, just this unparalleled run of dominance between the two of them, between the Splash Brothers. So Los Angeles knew, obviously knows what they're getting into with this. And I think the free throw discrepancy has been a big controversy because a lot of the whistle has favored Los Angeles. I think if you're Golden State on Monday, the adjustments just going to have to be finding different and creative ways to try to bring Anthony Davis out, try to maybe have, I don't want to say take Grandma Green off the bench, but in that Golden State-Sacramento Kings series, him coming off the bench was a crucial piece, I think also because of the suspension, but it brought a new energy to that second unit and allowed guys like Jordan Poole to be able to shoot really well. So, and he's been struggling mightily in these playoffs. Something is just not going on with him. But for me, it's always been Lakers' length versus the Warriors' three-point shooting. Maybe they can try to find a way to get Davis to the top, maybe catch him in a bait. I don't, not a big in terms of the basketball plays, but I think there's a real matchup problem for Golden State, and I think the Lakers have to find a way to expose it. And for me, when you have LeBron James, who's been historically dominant all his life, all his career, not take a single shot in the first quarter, and end up not really being the difference. LeBron is, in these NBA playoffs, have been waiting for that moment. I think he kind of did that against Memphis, where Dylan Brooks was talking a lot of garbage, a lot of stuff, if you want to say. He was talking the ish, and LeBron said, okay, okay, you asked for it. And then they send Memphis home. But for a lot of these playoffs, I've seen a lot of plays taken off by LeBron. And this is not necessarily a criticism because with his age, there's going to be nights where he doesn't look like he's all there. He's getting hurt more often. He's missing more games. But I'm waiting for LeBron to have that vintage-esque performance because we all know it's in there. We all see him on historically on a nightly basis. We know what he's capable of, and we've seen it plenty of times throughout the season where there's a switch that he's yet to hit. And I don't know if he's necessarily reserving that. I don't know if it's the Lakers saying, hey, in this minute stretch before you head to the bench, 75%. I don't know. That this That's largely getting very much into guessing territory. And I understand that. But it just doesn't look the same. And I don't know if that's by design or that's by Le- it's LeBron doing that. But in this series with Golden State, he's not really been the it factor. It's D'Angelo Russell last night. Having, I think it was 13 points in the first quarter, really finding his groove from beyond the arc. It's Anthony Davis dropping 30 and 25. It's Anthony Davis dropping 25 last night against Golden State. It's them rebounding, getting home court advantage, being in the position they are right now. It's not because of LeBron. LeBron's an excellent factor. He hit some very timely threes last night to keep Golden State at bay. But I've been waiting for LeBron to have that takeover. But maybe this Lakers team doesn't necessarily need it which is a scary thought because if he's well-rested and he's good to go for a matchup against Phoenix or Denver or maybe even a potential NBA Finals matchup with Miami, New York, Boston, or Philadelphia, 
and there's that extra gear, that, that makes Lakers fans probably feel really good. And I've been waiting to see it just as a basketball fan for that extra gear. So we'll see if that comes. But as of right now, he's been maybe the second, third option on a team where LeBron is the face of Los Angeles in terms of the Lakers. So it's been interesting to see that progression in his career in this stage where he's still winning and he's excellent, but it's not the same. And I think it's something that I at least wanted to talk about for this series. So I'm going to take Los Angeles in six. I think we're going to get one more magical performance out of Golden State. And I think this starts to be the crescendo on their dynasty. Maybe we're going to start getting into Patriots lingo where we write them off and then they come back and win it the next year. But I think this Golden State team, their struggles on the road have been apparent to all this year. And I think Los Angeles just matches up really well with this team. So I'm going to take Los Angeles in six to be in the Western Conference Finals. Who would have thought? And it's not the bubble. So you got your detractors out there who are, I think each team that led 2-1 as of today, this was before Boston and Denver represented their conferences in the bubble. It was Boston, Miami, and it was Denver and Los Angeles. So it's just interesting to think about the continuity of this league, bubble or no bubble. But as for our final series, and you guys, I'm not going to tell you where I stand. You already know, but this has been an absolutely incredible series just from a perspective completely neutral standpoint if you're a basketball fan you got to watch Boston and Philadelphia there's a lot of storylines here we had Embiid out for a game James Harden drops 45 then out of nowhere Harden goes I believe it was like five of 28 in games two and three and today James Harden drops 42 this is going to be put out on a Monday but this is being recorded on a Sunday night after the Suns Nuggets game so you have a James Harden that's been very up and down and I think Harden's best strength has always been him Either iso ball, step back three, bang, you have the Mike Breen call, or Harden gets to the line. He's a master of being able to influence his body to where the ref goes, okay, that is a foul. And Harden's a master at it. And it's frustrating as a fan of a team, if you're a Boston fan or you watch Harden in the playoffs, it aggravates you to no end. But Harden's fantastic at it, and you have to give him credit for it. So, And they're also, I think Philadelphia fans might have had PTSD from seeing the refusal to take a layup and kick it out Ben Simmons against the Hawks anyone that's kind of how it's going and so it was good to see Harden just from a basketball perspective I want to see Harden ball out I want to see him do well because you want to see the series at its core this is the Boston Philly rivalry this is a lot of storylines like I mentioned you had Grant Williams and Joel Embiid really face off in game three Grant Williams gets his face caved in by Joel Embiid you have Boston with Missoula who's come in and I think games one and four were lost by crucial mistakes in the post and in the final seconds, the execution. Because I think game one they had a plan to there. I think they're down by two, so they had an opportunity to either tie it. It was either one or two. They had an opportunity to tie it or take the lead. They don't, so they don't need to find their shot behind the arc exclusively. And then they had Marcus Smart take the point on both of these plays in game one and game four. And I think the plan is for Marcus Smart to find Tatum, and he either makes the read at the paint or he kicks it out. And in game one, it's a turnover, Boston loses. In game four, Boston made an interesting decision at the end of the game to hold off on the timeout, and so the clock keeps ticking. It's 12 seconds. Marcus Smart hasn't let go of the ball. He gives it to Tatum. Tatum drives, kicks it out to Marcus Smart, who makes the three-pointer. But the thing is, the clock runs out, and the basket doesn't count. Boston loses. These are growing pains for Joe Missoula, who was thrusted into this role. Now, I think there's a, as Twitter is, there's a popular 
You have to be on one side or the other. I think that there's a value in experience and there's a value in growing. And you look at the other side of the bench and you see Doc Rivers, one of the best coaches in the NBA right now, who is a master of this. He's been there, done that. Missoula necessarily hasn't. And he's being tested in each game at adjustments. He made the adjustment to put Jalen Brown on James Harden, which limited James Harden's ability to be effective. It disrupted his rhythm in the half court because you have him coming all the way in from the inbounding to where the play is happening. And so I think Missoula's done great things. He's done bad things. But I think in this series, I think this, the series is dependent on how far James Harden is willing to take this team. Are we going to see game one and four James Harden? Or are we going to see game two and three James Harden? If we see game one and four James Harden, Boston may be in trouble. If we see games two and three James Harden, this this Boston team is going to go back to Philadelphia up 3-2. So and I think it goes the same thing for the Celtics because you have Jason Tatum who started, I believe, 0 for 8 in the... In tonight in today's game and game four. But I think what makes Tatum his maturity and his growth as a player is he's been able to do different things. He had 18 rebounds and six assists and four blocks, and he finished with 24 points. So while he wasn't necessarily impacting the game that he in the way he really wants to, he's getting boards, he's passing to his teammates, he's making right decisions on defense, he's playing smart basketball, and he's not letting the game, the struggles boggle him. And this reminded this game reminded me a lot of game one of the NBA finals last year where Philadelphia or Golden State for three and a half quarters is hitting everything they want at will. They're doing all the right things in front of their home crowd and they're going to be able to get a game on Boston. And at the last six minute mark, something clicks within Boston. And we saw this in game one of the NBA finals. We saw it today. Only we had two separate outcomes. We had Al Horford explode at the end of game one, and they Boston stole a game on the road and had home court at the time. And in this situation, we saw Brogdon, Tatum, Brown. We saw Marcus Smart. This team gradually fought their way back just to be short in overtime. So we saw two draft drastic paths. We saw the same path be taken until very last second, and they diverged. Which, not necessarily, that's just what was popping into my mind. I was talking to my brother about this, saying this really reminds me, and this was before Boston made their comeback, I was thinking this could really play out like game one. There's just this thing about it, but it ended up finishing in a different way. Plays out the same way in terms of the basketball until the very last second. Um, and I think that's fascinating of how Boston's repeated their old habits of sometimes they're on and sometimes they make it harder on themselves. Could Boston be up 3-1 or even had a sweep? Sure. Could Philadelphia be up 3-0 right now? Both things are equally true. So I think it's fascinating going into game five I think we're going to expect every single game from here on out is going to be a battle. Both these teams are battle-tested, physical. This game, I think in Game 3-2, the whistle, you can make your decisions. Doc Rivers had his thoughts on it after the game. It's been a really fun basketball series to watch. It reminds me of that old classic playoff basketball. Both teams are battling. It's physical. There's ebbs and flows. I took Boston in seven. I think I'm going to stick with that just because if it's home court and that energy at TD Garden, I think Tatum... Won't have as horrendous of the first half. I think Jalen Brown has become more assertive. There's going to be adjustments made, and I think Boston overall is a better team. And we don't know how much Embiid's legs are going to be able to keep up with him in terms of his health. There's is a lot in the last couple of days on him. There's not a three three day extended rest period, so we'll see how his knee holds up. He's still. It looks to me like he's about 85 percent, which is still really great for the MVP. Uh, dropped thirty and thirteen today. So I'm going to take Boston in seven. It's a very hesitant Boston in seven because there is that 
inconsistency with this Celtics team, but we'll see how things progress in the NBA Finals. So in the Eastern Conference Finals, I have Miami and Boston in a rematch, and I have Los Angeles and Denver. So we have exactly the bubble from 2020 if it all goes according to how I predict it. And I have a lot of seven-game series except for Miami, and then I have the Lakers in six. So guys, thank you for watching my NBA playoffs breakdown. If you have any gripes, comments, or observations, as Mr. Stone would like to say, if you know that reference, you know that reference. And thank you for watching this far. So I believe 78% of my viewers are subscribed. So if you've gotten this far, go ahead and do yourself a favor by clicking the button if you enjoyed and let me know what you want to hear next. We got a great interview dropping on Wednesday. I'm really excited about it. Let's try to get to 20,000 listeners this summer. This is our summer, guys, for the Man with the Plan podcast. I'm Grayson Mann. Take care and have a great day. Thank you.